Welcome to Cottonmouth Manchester. Um, I'm here with Nick Merriman in the Manchester Museum, and we're in the Living Worlds Gallery. This is the first of uh, a number of pieces that we're going to do, very short pieces, um, with museum directors and curators, really about the favourite objects in each of theirs collection. Each of theirs collection? Each of their collections. Um, Nick, we're looking at an awful lot of paper cranes. Uh, uh, explain what the piece that you've chosen is. Yes, in the, so we're in this big Victorian gallery with some really high uh, black uh, wooden cases with sheets of glass uh, creating a sort of uh, rectangular volume. And right in the centre, there's, there's a... So all through the case uh, is several hundred origami paper cranes. That's the bird, a crane. But right in the middle of it, in a perspex transparent box, is a twisted bit of wire and glass which looks like a piece of rubbish and the reason I've chosen it is that because of its story so I suppose in terms of favorite objects it doesn't always have to be about how beautiful the object is or how artistically important it is um, this piece of molten metal and glass twisted up was picked up um, in the early 1950s by a Manchester man uh, from the site of the first atomic explosion at Hiroshima, which was in August 1945, as uh, we all remember. And uh, when we were redoing this gallery a few years ago, uh, the gallery is all about people's relationship with nature because generally nature and culture are very difficult to distinguish. You know, there's, there's very few completely natural landscapes in the world. Uh, usually people have interfered in some way. And this, this bit is about how we use nature symbolically. Um, and so next to the twisted bit of metal and glass is a stuffed crane, the bird, and then all these paper cranes. And what this comes from is the story of a young Japanese girl who was caught up in the explosion. Her name was Sadako S S Sasaki. And she, like many people, um, got leukemia as a result of the, uh, the fallout, the radiation. And her classmates uh, agreed with her to fold a thousand paper cranes uh, to try and um, speed her recovery. Because there was a kind of Japanese story, mythology, that if you folded a thousand paper cranes, your wish would come true. So she and her classmates uh, folded a thousand paper cranes. Unfortunately, uh, uh, Sadako died of her leukemia. But actually, because of the strength of that story, the origami paper crane has now become a kind of universal uh, symbol of peace. And each year in August, on the anniversary of the bomb, there's a worldwide uh, group called Mayors for Peace. And the mayor of Greater Manchester and other mayors and people from the Japanese uh, embassy uh, come here outside this case to uh, say a few words in commemoration of the anniversary of the atomic bomb. And it's because we have this very unassuming uh, piece of tw twisted, molten, uh, twisted and molten glass um, from Hiroshima that can then tell a story about the quest for worldwide peace since 1945 and reminds us each year of the importance of never resting in that quest for peace. Um, also, because of the paper cranes, it's actually a really beautiful piece of sculpture. 
Absolutely. It's, it's, it's not only my favourite object, it's actually my favourite display in the museum because it's this huge case, but it's only got two museum objects in it uh, and these um, huge numbers of cranes mostly inside the case, but others are kind of escaping and flying out from the case, suspended over the, over the ceiling. And um, it's got a big neon sign above it uh, saying peace. And um, it's so unlike most museum galleries um, that it really attracts visitors who are completely intrigued by what it's all about. Uh, and the designers we used for the gallery um, actually had never worked in museums before, and they brought that sort of freshness of approach, which is just what we've been trying to do as a museum that tries to be innovative around um, uh, different approaches to display to engaging new audiences. Uh, and what's particularly lovely, I think, is when you actually look at the other cases around it. So uh, we've got swans, lions, uh, bodies. What is that? What's that in case, the case beyond? Uh, well, is that, the, the it looks case, like Pompeii. Yes, the case beyond is, uh, has, again, only, it's a huge case, only got two objects in it. And they're a human figure uh, which is lying face down uh, with the arm, uh, the head resting on the arm. And actually what's a, a, a dog... Uh, shape contorted and um, they are casts from excavations at Pompeii in Italy after the which were made in the actually 18th century when people started investigating the site of the of the um, uh, uh, volcanic explosion and eruption uh, in Pompeii from AD 79 um, and they found holes they were digging down then they suddenly find a void and somebody had the bright idea of filling these voids with plaster to see what was inside them and then cutting out the whole thing. And they found that they were cavities of bodies of people and animals that had sadly died, been covered in ash, and then the flesh and the bones had just disintegrated over time, um, leaving these voids. So it's just th this one is about um, uh, the disasters that the natural world can bring. The one that you mentioned about the swan and the lion, us, how we use nature symbolically. You know, heraldic beasts or, you know, the lion is a, a symbol, isn't it, across um, all sorts of uh, different areas of life. And we are actually here, the gallery is, as you were saying, um, the original part of the museum. That's right. Um, it's, a, it's a classic uh, late 19th century museum. Uh, it was... The museum just opened as a natural history museum, first of all, and you can, it's got a central hall where you can see up three levels. And it's part of a really interesting moment in architectural design, which um, was shared by museums and department stores and prisons. Prisons as well, yeah. And it was really strange. It was kind of, it's where people began to go out in public to see things, or, or in the case of prisons, not go out in public. Um, and it's all about being seen. And so people went out to visit museums to look at stuff, but also to look at other people. And people went out to department stores to see objects to buy, but also to look at other people. And in prisons, the galleries allowed the warders to actually keep an eye on the prisoners really well. And actually, Alfred Waterhouse uh, built this museum, and he also built Strangeways Prison on a kind of not entirely dissimilar lines. And, of course, the town hall, and I'm not sure whether that falls on the museum side or the prison side, depending whether you're inside or outside. Uh, I think being Manchester would be on the side of liberty. Yes, of course it would. Um, yeah, and it's actually interesting that, that there's, a, there's a, 
parallel um, with your history and when you started and with that of Kendall's House of Fraser, which claims to be the oldest department store in, in the country, started in around 1810-ish, uh, a couple of years before, but certainly its, its heyday was the 1850s, 1860s. At the same time that you were doing, your, your predecessors would have been doing all this work on display, they were displaying finery there as well. Yes, and actually a lot of it was to do with the new technologies of plate glass allowing you to construct for the first time very large expanses of display cases in museums and department store and lighting, first of all gas lighting, which meant that you could stay open after the hours of darkness. You know, very simple <laughs> and things and we take for did granted. did in those days, didn't they? As opposed to it being actually um, a rather rare thing that's come back in the last decade or so, it used to be really common that they'd stay open very late at that time. Uh, stay open, very, and particularly in the winter, of course, it meant that they could just stay open until 6pm, you know, not having to close at sort of 3.30 when, when, it, when it got really dark. And one of the other major things that made museums popular and department stores was the availability of public toilets um, because uh, ladies didn't used to be able to go out in public because of the difficulty of spending a penny hence the penny toilet was such a long-lived uh, and vital institution given the you know petticoats and uh, and, 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 of, and of course there is a a long-running well we shall say we shall say it's a myth uh, that a, a good percentage of visitor figures to museums and galleries are actually the public coming in to use the loos uh, I think that probably is a myth now. Um, the, uh, it may have been true a long time ago when there were very few public toilets, um, but uh, the, we do have plentiful public toilets and we're very happy for people to use them. But I, th I think because we get 460,000 visitors a year, I think we have to uh, have faith that they're they not just always the just using the toilet. I think we'd run out of toilet paper very quickly. <laughs> um, so do come and see... Uh, the piece, piece uh, which is incredibly beautiful, as I say. Um, the crane is an incredibly beautiful bird anyway. Um, if anybody has actually tried to do an origami crane, I can tell you it's a lot harder. Maybe it's just my fat fingers, uh, but it's a lot harder than it looks when people produce them, um, and particularly having seen large numbers of five- and six-year-old Japanese um, children produce them in great numbers uh, I admire their dexterity. If you do come down to the Manchester Museum and you haven't been here recently, I can also recommend Maud the Tigon, uh, which Nick has just shown me, um, which is one of the most extraordinary pieces of taxidermy I've seen in a very long time. For those of you who are used to taxidermy, where everything looks a bit moth-eaten, uh, because it's been around since the Victorian era, that's what modern taxidermy can be, and, and gives you a real sense of a living creature um, well, a once living creature, I guess, uh, but being presented in a, a, a particularly modern way. Thank you to Nick. Uh, we will be visiting other directors and other curators uh, over the next few days to find out about their favourite objects. Um, you can subscribe to Cottonmouth Manchester on Acast, iTunes and through SoundCloud or from cityco.com slash podcasts. Leave us a review, give us some likes, people, and we will speak to you soon.